We are. We are. We are cultivate. 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 We are cultivate. The Oracle Network. Hello and welcome to Yield Crime, where we discuss the funny, strange, and obscure crimes of yesteryear. I'm your host, Lindsay Valenti, and with me this week is a special guest and one of my co-hosts from Pineapple Pizza Podcast. It is Emily. Hello. I'm going to try and do my best Maddie. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Hey. Wow. How are you? I'm <laughs> not too bad. How are you? I'm good. Hubby's back from spring break with the uh, oldest, and it took like 10 minutes before the kids were squabbling with each other, so. <laughs> Never takes very long, does it? It doesn't. Just right back to life as usual. Don't you wish you could just put them both in their own bubble so that they just scream into the void and you'd never have <laughs> to hear it? You get one of those, like, those giant bubble balls. And then they can just like mm-hmm. sit in these bubble balls and yell at each other. And it's fine because I don't have to hear it. <laughs> Be perfect. Bliss. Parental bliss right there. there until they go. knock everything over. Yep. Yeah, I don't know how well that would work if they were to go outside. I just see them like go like, sumo charging at each other. and <laughs> <laughs> Bouncing back, rolling yep. backwards, throwing up inside the giant bubble thing. <laughs> no. Oh, no. oh no and then it's even worse so on that delightfully visual note <laughs> i'll move on to our topic for this week it's not going to make us throw up in a bubble is it no thank goodness yes unless you're weirdly triggered by whatever i'm going to be talking about today okay so again we are continuing with wicked mock madness in honor of our good friend mark with another witchy story And this one will be about Elizabeth Bud Graham. Ooh, I've never heard of this one before. Yeah, this one, I found this one on Atlas Obscura, which obviously is one of my sources. And it's not what you think it's going to be. So it was really fun to research. So information was pulled from the following sources. A 2020 Florida Public Archaeology Network blog post, or two of those. 2020 The Tally Guide blog post. 2019 Only in Your State article by Marissa Roman, 2018 Tallahassee Democrat article by Barbara Clark, a 2005 Tallahassee Democrat article by Gerald Ensley, a 1996 Tallahassee Democrat article by Claude Kennison, a 1995 Tallahassee Democrat article by Kathleen Laufenberg, Atlas Obscura, Find a Grave, and Weird U.S. (laughs) Weird U.S., Pulling it in at the end there. Just bookending <laughs> it real nice. I was putting my newspapers.com uh, membership to good use for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, you paid for it. You better get your use out of it, right? Exactly. You can sponsor us if you want to. Just sponsor them. Just throwing that out there. We like to look up stuff. Anyway, <laughs> links to all of these articles will be included in the show notes. Old City Cemetery in Tallahassee, Florida is the oldest public cemetery in the city. Established in 1829, the 
people interred there come from a variety of backgrounds that kind of perfectly encompass life in 19th century Tallahassee. So you've got your store clerks, your governors, your slaves, and your plantation owners. So kind of the whole gambit. And several of the graves are those who perished during the 1841 yellow fever epidemic. Oh, yeah. Yep. As well as those who died during the Civil War. So that you've got 51 Confederates and 36 Union soldiers who perished during the Battle of Natural Bridge. Was there fighting all the way in Florida? Mm-hmm. I did not know that. I didn't before this either. <laughs> so. I thought Georgia was like it. <laughs> they were like, forget Florida. It's too far. <laughs> Apparently they were like, let's get into that panhandle. We got some panhandle action going on. <laughs> they crossed the natural bridge and they shouldn't have done that. Amongst the graves is an elaborate headstone constructed of French granite and marble surrounded by a low ornate wall, including granite vases. A great description of it can be found in an editorial piece by Gerald Ensley from the March 27, 2005 edition of the Tallahassee Democrat. Quote, Elizabeth Boyd Graham has the biggest, most elaborate monument in the old city cemetery. The four-sided tower in the cemetery's southeast corner is nearly 20 feet tall. Dang. It is inscribed with the opening passage of Edgar Allan Poe's poem, Lenore. End quote. So she was somebody important if she's getting a big old tower. Yep. And everybody else is getting this dinky little headstone, including Civil War soldiers. Yep. If that. And governors. If that, because back at this time, wooden grave markers were still fairly common. So you might. (laughs) Why was that ever a thing? Right? So it's like you might not have even gotten a headstone. Or you did, but it wouldn't last very long being in swampy Florida. No kidding. The warm, wet weather wouldn't last very long. So moist. So moist. (laughs) Nice mildewy. The grave is the final resting place of Elizabeth Bessie Bud Graham, a 23-year-old wife and mother who many believe was a kind of white witch. Ooh. Mm -hmm. Born October 19, 1866, St. John's Episcopal Church burial records note that Elizabeth died in Jacksonville of heart disease on November 16, 1889. She was buried by Reverend W.H. Carter, and according to church records, she had been baptized, confirmed, and was a communicant of the church. So, so far, nothing real witchy about her. Mm-mm. She sounds like a pillar of the community. Mm-hmm. Elizabeth and her husband, John, were married on November 24, 1887, and had only been married just under two years prior to her death, leaving her husband and small child behind. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Many of my sources listed her as leaving two children behind, but in her obituary, it listed only one. John, who later remarried a woman named Nina Hayward Graham, also had a child. In John's 1921 obituary... So he had a child with her after his wife oh, Elizabeth okay, okay. passed away. I was wondering if they were just going, well, that one doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> so in his 1921 obituary, he was noted as having one surviving child named John Graham Jr., while the other child that was mentioned was named Harriet, and she passed away in 1913. Harriet was also mentioned in Nina's obituary. So by process of elimination, Mm -hmm. we could assume 
that John Graham Jr. is the child of Elizabeth, and the daughter that perished was Nina's daughter. History is so fun. Like diving into... <laughs> you did some investigating there, I see. Investigative reporting. Her husband, John, was a timber magnate, cattleman, and a real estate developer. So he's got that money. Wait, wait. He was a... A what, what? A, a cattle guy? A, a cattleman, <laughs> a timber magnate, uh-huh. and a real estate developer. Damn, he had his fingers in a lot of pots, didn't he? He did. That, that's a lot. <laughs> that's a lot. It's like, how do you even have time to be at home if you're juggling that much stuff? No kidding. All at once or just like jumping around? It didn't say. Up? So I don't know if he like moved on up from cattleman to timber magnate to real estate developer or if he did a couple at the same time. This is mid-1800s ADHD at its best. Exactly. I can't decide what I want to do, but I want to have a lot of money. <laughs> I'm going to do it all. (laughs) As you can imagine, he was quite wealthy and did very well for himself. No way. (laughs) What? (laughs) You don't say. During the Victorian era, when death was extremely common, a popular practice was to spend a great amount of money on burials and mourning practices. So think of what people today would spend on weddings, except it'd be on funerals in this instance. So you're like flipping the script. Yeah, it's an interesting way to do it. I guess if you're really celebrating somebody who was alive, it's not bad. I, I'd want to party when I die. Mm-hmm. Like, throw a freaking bash when I die. Like, yeah, yeah she's gone. <laughs> <laughs> whoop, whoop. Break out the bubbly. So at that time, the love you felt towards the person who passed would be linked to how much you were willing to spend on their funerary expenses. <sighs> That's kind of, That kind of sucks, though, if you're really poor, though. Yeah. Because it's you don't like have anything to spare. Yeah. So it's like if you're already poor, do you then go in debt to like commemorate your loved one? Or I don't I don't understand how that works. And what's that really doing? Your loved one is gone. They don't care. They're dead. It's only yep. showing everybody else that you can manage to spend this money. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's like, oh, I love my wife more than you love yours. Because look at this 20 foot obelisk that I built for her. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like a morbid status symbol right there. Yeah. Someone's compensating for something. <laughs> giant obelisk. <laughs> Here's my giant penis in the middle of the cemetery. Um, above my wife. <laughs> this was mine. This was my wife. <laughs> she was impressed. <laughs> it's bigger than six inches, so she's impressed. <laughs> According to research that was done by the Florida Public Archaeology Network, Elizabeth was originally buried in Jacksonville. She likely passed unexpectedly while visiting her parents before she was brought back to Tallahassee to be buried next to relatives who had previously been interred at the Old City Cemetery. A reporter of the Jacksonville Metropolis paper described Elizabeth as possessing, quote, excellent traits of character, end quote, and that her husband, quote, loved and adored his wife, end quote. Her husband, John Alexander Graham, had the magnificent monument erected over his wife's grave in 1891, just wait, to the tune of $3,500 or $108,000 today. Oh my goodness. That's just for the monument. Wow. That's a lot to drop on Mm. somebody who's been dead for how long at that point? So if she passed in, it'd be two years at that point. Oh, okay. I thought she'd been dead for a 
It's like, boy, you waited to drop some cash on that. He had to sell more. Then I feel guilty. I I had to get around to it eventually. Check this off my to-do list. Fun fact. It took four freight cars to bring all the pieces into Tallahassee. That's ridiculous. That's insane. Who are you showing off for? Yeah. So why do people think she was a witch? Folklorists note that her marker faces west rather than east which is a sign of disgrace and dishonor. The reason for this is that by being buried with your feet pointing east, when Judgment Day comes, you'll be ready to rise up and meet your maker. Because apparently just having your back to him means you're going to get skipped over, I guess. (laughs) What's happening? Oh, it's all behind me. Oh, I can't see. I can't see. (laughs) I can feel the earth moving, but I have no idea what's happening. However, there are other markers in the Old City Cemetery that also face west. So this kind of supposed evidence really has no merit in that regard, unless you're calling all those other people witches as well. Maybe somebody was directionally dyslexic and they just switched directions. They didn't know. Yeah. Not only that, but it was a common practice in the Victorian era to have graves on the edges of the property face inwards towards the rest of the cemetery. And as her grave is on the southeastern boundary of the cemetery, it would make sense that it faces inward. Another possible reason is that the inscription on her marker is visible to those visiting the cemetery if it faces inward as opposed to east. So like Edgar Allan Poe's poem. Lastly, facing west was a way to symbolize the setting sun and the idea that a life like the close of the day has ended. Oh, poetic. Very poetic. It is true that in the section of the cemetery where Elizabeth is located, hers is the only marker that faces west. Sharon Thompson, who is the founder and director of the Center for Historic Cemetery Preservation, says of Elizabeth, quote, I really have no idea what started the rumor, end quote, of her being a white witch. Wayne Britt, the old city cemetery supervisor, felt similarly. Quote, I've been here 11 years, and all I've heard is the W word, and that's it. I suppose it might have started because she's got such a unique monument, end quote. Go for it. Well, yes, the giant phallic symbol (laughs) 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 of the cemetery. It's kind of eye-catching. Yeah, it might have something to do with it. A decade after her death, rumors began to circulate that Elizabeth had bewitched her husband into marrying her, as he had considerable wealth. However, this can be debunked as she herself also came from a prominent and wealthy family. She wouldn't have needed to attract the attention of a wealthy man in order to live comfortably. And the rumor also came out that she was considered a quote-unquote good witch that cast love and protection spells, even though no one ever got any from her. So So there's literally no story of anybody getting any kind of spell from her. It's just all speculation. Yep. Nice. Yep. Solid. That's solid evidence right there. solid evidence. If you look at the actual iconography of the monument, it includes several Christian symbols. The IHS inscribed on it is the Greek contraction for Jesus, or the first three letters of the Greek version of Jesus. Additionally, the motif at the top of her obelisk has feathers, which is a sign of good standing and respect as well as the symbolism of the ivy, which in Victorian funerary practices meant fidelity. 
Furthermore, the symbolism of the cross and the crown, which can be found near the top of her monument, meant rewards in heaven following the trials and tribulations of life. The imagery is also tied with Freemasonry, of which her husband was a member, which makes sense. Mm-hmm. Another interesting fact is that her grandmother, Elizabeth Shirley Wilson, along with her father and her family, were all long-standing members of the Presbyterian Church in Tallahassee. Not only that, but her grandfather, David C. Wilson Sr., was one of the founders of the First Presbyterian Church and actually gifted the bell that is still part of the historic landmark. Oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. In fact, it is the oldest continually operating public building in Tallahassee, which is also very cool. What about the poem by Edgar Allan Poe? If you look at the poem itself, it's about a woman who dies young, which is likely the only reason that it was chosen. And for those who have not heard it before, I'm going to read the section that was inscribed on the monument. Quote, ah, broken is the golden bowl, the spirit flown forever. Let the bell toll, a saintly soul float on the Stygian river. Come, let the burial rite be read, the funeral song be sung an anthem for the queenliest dead that ever died so young, a dirge for her, the doubly dead, in that she died so young, end quote. So people who believe in the witch theory believe that the poem by Edgar Allan Poe is all the proof they need that she's a witch. Um, I didn't realize that Edgar Allan Poe was a witchfinder general. Like, here, this means witch. So, so here's, here's their logic. The first line, for example, the phrase broken is the bowl has been equated to staking a vampire in the heart, which a vampire is not a witch. So no kidding. All right. Werewolves might be, though. Werewolves, maybe. The lines, the spirit flown forever and a saintly soul floats on the Stygian river reference the fact that witches are not allowed to cross into the next life and are doomed to wander in purgatory. The line, the queenly is dead has been associated with the idea of the queen of the dead, which, all right, I can see that one. And lastly, the words doubly dead refer to the fact that a witch must be killed twice, which I've never heard that before, but uh, although, yeah, now that I'm thinking it about sense. it. So you remember, was it last week when we were talking about the Scottish witches? It was two week weeks before? ago. This past week was uh, South American witches. That's right. It makes sense now that they would strangle and then burn them if mm-hmm. you have to kill a witch twice. It only took me two weeks to get there. God damn it. <laughs> well, and they used to, when they would bury witches, they would bury them with, they would um, hammer iron nails mm-hmm. through them to keep them down because it was believed that they could rise up again. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was believed that witches could return. So it would make sense that you'd have to kill them twice. Mm-hmm. Didn't they bury some of them upside down too? Like vertically um, instead of horizontally i don't know about witches i think they did that with suspected vampires because then vampires would they dig their way down instead of up to come out <laughs> i'm so directionally challenged <laughs> i picture those old like 1990s like the 8-bit computer graphic <laughs> games and it's just mining downwards <laughs> it's like dig dugging its way down yes i'm now a mole person instead of a vampire <laughs> So descendants of Elizabeth have called the cemetery in the past to set the record straight. She was never a witch. There was no way she was ever a witch. 
but people still like to believe in their own things. The inscription on her headstone reads as follows, quote, Elizabeth Bud Graham, wife of John Alexander Graham and daughter of David C. and Florence J. Wilson, born October 19, 1866, married November 24, 1887, died November 16, 1889, a dutiful daughter, a devoted mother, and a loving and faithful wife, end quote. And for more information about her death, I'm going to read a short quote from her obituary. Quote, early this morning at the dawning of a new day, the insatiate reaper, death, claimed Bessie, the lovely young wife of Mr. John A. Graham, at their family residence, 64 East Duval Street, which no longer exists. It's actually a parking lot now. So it's okay that I said that. <laughs> Go there. You won't find anything but cars. <laughs> I mean, you might be able to park where the house used to be, but it doesn't exist anymore. Mrs. Graham had been slightly unwell for a day or two, but no one anticipated so sudden and sad a termination. Last night, she was much troubled with her heart, and between four and five o'clock, she quietly and peacefully passed away, we hope, to a better and brighter home in the unknown beyond. Possessed of rare personal beauty and excellent traits of character, that her young life should so suddenly and abruptly terminated when all before her appeared so happy and pleasant. The blow fell hard with crushing effect upon the young husband, who loved and adored his wife with all the affection possessed by human nature. End quote. It does sound like she was very well loved by her family. Mm -hmm. You don't write words like that about somebody that you're like, peace! Yeah. Burn her! I can only imagine, with as religious as her family is, obviously, mm -hmm. that the rumors that came, that followed, about her being a witch would have been extremely insulting mm -hmm. and frustrating. Because mm -hmm. you're going, there's no way that she could have been this. She was just the exact opposite. Mm -hmm. Yeah, even just labeling her as a good witch, having putting any sort of witchy mm -hmm. connotation on her would have been a huge insult. There's no way. A final thought and some interesting information that I came across was written by Barbara Clark of the Tallahassee Democrat in an article dated October 7th, 2018, of the damage that has been done to the monument over the years, whether intentionally or not. As an archaeologist, she spent years learning and educating others on how to properly care for and preserve historic markers. And this was some really interesting information that she kind of went into I watch a lot of those grave cleaning videos on TikTok because they're very <laughs> soothing. And I like learning about the history of the people. So I found this very fascinating. If you're thinking of paying tribute to a loved one, please keep the following in mind. Candle wax melts in the sun and stains the stone. Metal objects placed on monuments rust in the rain and snow, which can also cause stains for the stone that cannot be cleaned off. Leaving organic items on the stone itself is also a no-go. When they rot, they trap moisture, which can cause mildew to grow on the stone. So just some kind of interesting facts and things to consider, especially if you're going to be paying tribute at an older headstone. Mm -hmm. So put things in front of the stone, not on the stone. Yep. Just put it on the ground in front of it, and then it's fine. And then I had to include this totally random fun fact because it just blew my mind when it came up for whatever reason, in my research. An interesting person who is also buried at the Old City Cemetery is none other than Prince Akil Murat, nephew of Napoleon, 
What? (laughs) Why? He settled in Florida in the mid-1820s, married the great-grandniece of George Washington, and was a planter and prominent member of the community. It's said that he was a bizarre chef who, quote, prepared baked owl with the head on, cow's ear stew, tails of hogs, and rattlesnakes, end quote. You know, I've watched enough of those travel channel shows where they go and they eat stuff around the world that it sounds weird, but at the same time you're going, there's probably somebody out there that already eats that. (laughs) Bakes the owl with the head still on. I mean, people roast pigs. I know. And if you would roast a uh, duck or a goose, you probably at the time wouldn't have cut the head off. And I know in some places. That's a more modern thing. In some places, they do roast the entire chicken with the head mm-hmm. still on. You know, I do know that. But for whatever reason, just the idea of a, an owl being baked that way is just probably because I'm picturing with the feather still on for some reason instead of like plucked as a chicken. <laughs> See, in my brain went the opposite direction of how bizarre that owl head has to look with no feathers on it. <laughs> well, and they giant have, eyes. And they have freakishly long legs. So... <laughs> <laughs> looks so weird <laughs> Can, i can't even picture i don't want to see it but i kind of want to see it oh my god how weird would that look if you like just go in and you're like what are we eating okay what is <laughs> what that is this is that the chupacabra like what did you bake for us <laughs> the origins of the chupacabra we, we you figured it out Lindsay. <laughs> it's just baked owl it's, it's just baked, baked owl, owl. <laughs> or an owl that has had all its feathers plucked off and that is the story of Elizabeth Bud Graham, the white witch who was actually not a white witch. That's a cool story. I've never heard that before. It does make me kind of sad for her family, but at the same time, you know, at least she's not forgotten. She's remembered. Mm-hmm. I guess her monument is one of the most popular ones that gets visited in that cemetery, like around Halloween and stuff. Because it's a giant <laughs> monument. It's so big. <laughs> <laughs> giant obelisk and if you look at pictures of it which i will include pictures of it on social like it's a beautiful statue it's a beautiful monument that's over two stories tall 20 feet 20 feet that's huge and it's taller than a house and if you look (laughs) at all of the other ones around it it's like oh yeah (laughs) okay (laughs) they're all like houses for ants compared to that one (laughs) You mentioned that you might have a story as well to share. I do. I have a witchy story that I researched a while back. So some of this might be news to me again because it's been a while (laughs) since I read it. (laughs) But I think it's a, I remember really enjoying this story. So I think you will too. Okay. Yeah. So my witchy story for you today, my sources are a page on Mysterious Britain called Ursula Kemp and the St. Osseth's Witches. It sounds like switches. Two (laughs) Mysterious Universe articles entitled Essex's Most Haunted House is Up for Sale and A Haunted Witch's Prison in England. A page on the UrsulaKemp.co.uk website called Witch or Herbalist. Ursula is finally (laughs) retunred. It's literally retunred. They they misspelled it. (laughs) To St. Osseth and laid to rest. A live science page called For Sale, Haunted Medieval Prison that Held Accused Witches. Two pages from a cult world entitled St. Osseth, Witches, and Kemp, Ursula. 
Yeah, that's the name of the page. Thanks, guys. And a BBC article called St. Osseth Medieval Prison Marketed at Paranormal Industry. I don't really know what that article title means. It doesn't really I, make a whole lot of sense to me, but there it is. I didn't know there was a paranormal industry. Uh, yeah, I'm not really sure what at paranormal industry is supposed to mean because they put it in like quotation marks. Hmm. I don't know. Like are people who are interested in the paranormal like a subset of industries you can be members of? You know, like manufacturing. Oh, yeah. Oh, I bet. I bet. I mean, think about like Zach Baggins and all the stuff that he procures. I mean, mm-hmm. he pays money for that, which means there's some kind of like market out there. So there's probably some kind of industry. People mm-hmm. churning out the occult. Mm-hmm. Come one, come all. Check out my haunted dolls. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Lindsay will not be there. Nope. Nope. I'll be outside crying and screaming. You don't want to go see, what is it? What was it? Sally the doll? I don't remember what it was. She was scary. She was creepy. Yeah. No thanks. So according to the Essex Herald, during the Middle Ages, Essex County had more reported witches than Devon and Cornwall combined. So the county definitely had a reputation at the time. And the fear of witchcraft was clearly very real for the people who lived there. And if I recall correctly, Essex County had some of the highest number of accused witches of all of England. Okay. Like, people in Essex County were just accusing everybody of being a witch. It was wild. Some of the numbers were, like, three times what they were of neighboring counties. Yikes. So, oh, it says here in my notes. (laughs) 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 I haven't read in two years. (laughs) I watched a video from a Yale professor, Keith Wrightson, that talked about witchcraft, especially in Essex. And he said that during all of Elizabeth's reign, so Queen Elizabeth I, Mm -hmm. which spanned from November of 1558 to March of 1603, the county of Hertfordshire which is just north of London and was rather populous at the time, only had 24 witchcraft cases over that whole period. So that's almost 50 years. Mm -hmm. Sussex, a large county to the south of London, had only 14. The county of Essex, which abuts Hertfordshire, so it's just off to one side. Mm -hmm. I don't know which side because I didn't write it down, but it's off to one side. One of those Had 172 cases of witchcraft just during her reign. So we're saying 172 compared to 24 or 14 in these other counties. Yeah, that's just a little bit more. Yeah, that, that's a pretty big difference. Mm-hmm. So in 1644, smack in the middle of the first English Civil War, a broke-ass lawyer named Matthew Hopkins began his short but awful career as a witch hunter and set a precedent for the years of accusations and executions that would follow. And his main stomping ground was in Essex. He's like... I'm not making any money as a lawyer. What am I going to do? I'm going to become a witch hunter. There's real money in that. So until he came around, the crime of witchcraft was treated pretty much like any other normal day-to-day crime. But once he became involved, he began to link their practice and crimes to devil worship, which made them heretics and enemies of God. So it was really his work that switched them from being, you know, they're, they're criminals, they're performing a crime under you know like um, judicial law instead of yes religious law well because religious law really did rule at the time but this but it wasn't looked at quite the same way until he came along and said oh they are associated with the devil and everybody said you're Mm -hmm. right so they were thought to have rejected christ and instead honored the devil 
who would in turn give them supernatural powers. And I think you've seen this across a lot of what you've worked on. Yep. Hopkins believed that witches could be identified by marks or imperfections called devil's marks. Mm-hmm. I think you talked about that in your Scottish one. Yep. Yep. And so these were given to them when they'd sworn allegiance to Lucifer. And these included things like birthmarks, mm-hmm. third nurples, mm-hmm. warts, sebaceous cysts. So those are like when your sweat glands swell mm-hmm. and moles. Mm-hmm. So God forbid you have a mole. <laughs> like, yeah. I'd be screwed. <laughs> yeah, I would have been called a witch like a million times over. Old women with hairy lips, <laughs> crooked noses. Or sunken cheeks were particularly suspect. And that kills me because, you know, you're more likely to get those extra little, like, whiskers as a woman if you've had a whole bunch of kids. And back in the day, you were pumping out a bunch of kids. Yep. So you're going to have the whiskers that say, hello, I'm a witch. <laughs> you're just wiggling around on your chin. You're missing Suspect her, like, me. finger action, like, where she's, <laughs> she's gesturing with a pointer finger off her chin. Oh, God, I think Mediterranean women would have been in so much trouble if they (laughs) visited England during that time. Sorry, Mediterranean ladies. I have a little bit of that in me, too. I I feel it. I feel the pain. So these old ladies could be in trouble. And people who were too close to their pets, especially cats, could also be in trouble. And this is because Hopkins believed that witches had familiars. We've all heard of these. But these were essentially like low-ranking demons that disguised themselves as animals, and they were given to the witches by the devil. And the witches needed these familiars near them at all times to have access to their powers. That was something I didn't know before. I didn't realize that uh, familiars helped them, like, communicate with the devil. Yeah, I didn't realize that they had to stay close. Although now Mm -hmm. that I'm thinking about it, it kind of makes sense if you think back to that story about the supposed witch who had like goats as her familiars that -hmm. went to the person's house and started like throwing up fire (laughs) at their house (laughs) what a story (laughs) i was just like what (laughs) at least it wasn't screaming at them i suppose but oh yeah this is when we need ashley's screaming goat in here yep (laughs) still disturbing the idea of a goat spewing fire at me is disturbing but i think any living thing actually spewing fire is probably that's problematic. That That's problematic. concerning. You've got something going on in your <laughs> intestinal biota there. Like there, there's an imbalance. <laughs> Who needs an antacid? You do. You do. <laughs> What's that? Uh, the gut balancing yogurt. You need some of that to tame the heat. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Activia. Yeah. Where's Jamie Lee Curtis when you need her? <laughs> She just starts throwing it inside their down their throats. <laughs> This'll help. It'll calm the fires of hell. <laughs> I've never been more regular. So Hopkins thought that familiars were fed on the witch's blood, which they would suckle from the teat. And from what I gathered, this was a function of the devil's mark. So that mole or the hairy lip or whatever, the the swollen sebaceous glands, that's supposed to be a teat, which is just so nasty to think about. (laughs) Like, dude, what are you dreaming of at night? I feel like somebody slipped him something. Some of that, what, ergot or ergama or whatever bread that they had over in Salem. Yeah, with the weird mold. Or maybe Mm -hmm. he had some hallucinogenic mushrooms. Mm -hmm. So this broke-ass lawyer, as I put it in my notes, 
turned celebrity witch hunter would travel around East Anglia and get paid the big bucks by the town's people who hoped he would clean their villages of witches. And that's, you know, really what he hoped for, right? Mm -hmm. He's creating this whole story to get people whipped up in a frenzy and then give himself work. Yep. In his work, he had three favored ways of detecting witches. Pricking, swimming, and sleep deprivation. And I think you've covered most of these in previous episodes. Mm -hmm. But in case we need a little refresher, pricking involved using a blunt blade, needles, or his personal retractable blade, affectionately named the needle, (laughs) to stab suspected witches. And this is because he believed that witches could be stabbed without bleeding or showing any marks on their skins. That's a nice superpower. Honestly, I feel like... If you're just, if that's all it takes for you to not think I'm a witch, go ahead and prick me and I'm done. Cool. I'm going to bleed. Mm-hmm. I bleed so fast. <laughs> I was like, go ahead. Go for it. I'll prove I'm not a witch. They poke your finger and it just starts gushing blood. <laughs> like, not a witch. <laughs> yeah. The only problem, I guess, is back then, you know, infections were so easily set in. You yeah. Know. <laughs> Thanks. I'm going to go die now. <laughs> And that's when you go enlist your local witch, your local healer, to fix yep. it up and be like, shh, I won't tell. I won't tell if you won't. Make it stop, please. So he or his group of cronies known as witch prickers, yep, that's literally their name, <laughs> would stab the suspected witches on their devil's marks or elsewhere, usually after they'd been shaved head to toe first. I, I'm guessing that this is to get to find the witch's mark, that they shave them completely. Mm-hmm. But, like, if you can see the witch's mark, do you need to also shave them? I wonder if people had, like, birthmarks on their heads or I know sometimes you can get moles on the top of your head. I don't yeah, know but why they, they would a... need to shave, like, your lady parts, but. Uh... Oh, God, I can't even imagine doing that in the mid-1600s. No, <sighs> no thank, thank you. you. Nope. So, if they didn't bleed from the pricking, from the witch prickers, boom, it's a witch. Mm-hmm. He was also a firm believer in what he called the swimming test. And this is a very famous torture in which accused witches would be tied to a chair or have their arms tied behind their backs or to their opposite toes. And then they'd be thrown into a body of water. And if they sank and died, they were innocent and sent to heaven. Lucky you. Mm-hmm. If they floated, however, then they were definitely witches and they would have to be burned or killed in some other way. There are accounts of women who floated and were later burned. And I think you've also covered some of that. Yes. Yep. And why would he think that floating would be a sign of witchcraft? It's probably not the reason you think. It was believed that since they had renounced their baptism, water would reject them and they would float. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Although if you listen to Monty Python, it's because they're made of wood. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. Finally, he was fond of employing sleep deprivation, which doesn't sound terrible. Mm Mm-hmm. But it was used to keep suspects awake for days on end, under constant surveillance, and usually with a strict bread and water diet. Eventually, he would be able to coerce confessions from them. Probably because they couldn't poop anymore at that point. Yeah. You're just miserable. If you're being kept alive, or, I mean, you are being kept alive, but if you're being kept awake for days on end, too, like, anyone's going to talk. Yeah, that would have to really start to make your brain crack. Mm-hmm. Did you know that when you sleep, it's actually your brain flushing damaging chemicals? That's what your brain does when you sleep is it cleans out these chemicals that build up during the day. I did not know that. 
And that's why sleep is so important. They don't really know why it happens that it accumulates during the day and then flushes at night, but they do know that that's what happens. So sleep is like the the flusher on the toilet that is our brain. Sleep, yes, kind of like that. <laughs> or like it's like the uh, daily brain shower. It cleanses your brain of all the, the toxins that it builds up throughout the day. And it's really important because if you don't, then your brain starts to get wacky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From all the stuff that's in there that shouldn't be in there. Hmm. Apparently when we think, we screw ourselves up. <laughs> Which is just really funny. So now we're going to jump back in time a bit to some witch trials that may have inspired some of Hopkins' beliefs. In 1563, Queen Elizabeth I passed the new Witchcraft Act. Others had come before, but hers was harsher and more relevant to our story. So that's why we're going to... Like, there had been Witchcraft Acts for a while. Mm -hmm. In it, if a person was found to be practicing witchcraft, they were imprisoned for a year and were put in the stocks four times during that year... For their first offense. Okay. So the first time they're accused of witchcraft. After that, it escalated really quickly. It was death by hanging. Okay. However, if the person was convicted of murder by witchcraft, the death sentence was mandatory. Okay. So if you had a thing against your neighbor, but you didn't really want to see them dead, you might accuse them of some simple witchcraft and have them thrown in prison. But if you really, really wanted to get that person and you wanted to see them gone, or maybe you wanted to get rid of your ex's new wife or something, mm -hmm. that's when you accuse them of murder by witchcraft. Shaquille, my cows. <laughs> yeah, I bet that would count. Mm -hmm. I mean, your livestock was your life. Mm -hmm. On March 29th, 1582, 14 women from the village of St. Osseth were tried for witchcraft in the nearby city of Kelmsford. I'm hoping I'm saying that correctly. I didn't put it in here. Sorry, England. Charges brought against them ranged from causing illness, placing curses, to sicking familiars on their victims. Mm -hmm. Which honestly kind of sounds like fun. Like, go get them. Go get them. Ten of those arrested faced charges of bewitching to death. And two were eventually executed. So eight did end up walking away. There wasn't enough evidence. The two convicted and executed witches were Elizabeth Bennett and Ursula Kemp. So what led up to these executions? Well, I couldn't find a whole lot of information on Elizabeth Bennett. It seems as though Ursula named her as a witch, but this only happened after Ursula was convicted and offered some leniency as she gave her jail jailers names of other witches. So like she Which just, was common. Yeah, that kind of sucks. Yeah. You're going to make sure somebody else goes down just so that you get an easier death. Yep. Or you turn on the people that accuse you and you're like, well, you're also a witch. Yeah. Yep. Kind of. That's not. I can understand when you're in a position of fear mm -hmm. for the suffering that you're going to face, why you might want to ease that. But I don't. Not cool with you putting that on somebody yeah. else. After Ursula pointed the finger at her, poor Elizabeth confessed to having at least two familiars. She also confessed to killing two people through the use of witchcraft, which was an automatic death sentence. Elizabeth was held in prison for six months until her execution. So now let's talk about Ursula Kemp. Of the 14 women arrested, she was the first, and she's probably, she's arguably the most well-known. Oh, wow. Before her arrest, she had been a pretty well-respected midwife. According to some websites and other websites said she was kind of a shoddy midwife, so I guess it's like a matter of opinion. <laughs> 
Some web- websites were like, ah, I wouldn't be that impressed with Ursula Kemp. <laughs> so she was a midwife, a wet nurse, and a local healer with skills similar to an apothecary, which is pretty something we see a lot in these cases, yep. such as mixing up salves and making herbal medicines. Mm-hmm. When you're poor and you don't have doctors, what do you do? One of the ways she was known to heal was to remove curses or malicious spells cast by other witches, a.k.a. counter magic. Mm-hmm. So she was already believed to have some sort of supernatural power before ever being accused of any of this. This is what she was sought for. At some point, one of Ursula's neighbors, named Grace Thurlow, came to her seeking help for her sick son, Davy. Ursula helped the boy with incantations and magic, according to Grace, and the boy got better. But when Ursula tried to get Grace to also hire her to be a wet nurse for Grace's baby daughter, Joan, and Grace refused, the two kind of got a little heated with each other. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I'm picturing the Karen in the super in the supermarket type, type yeah. of situation here. And and Grace is like, nah, that's not gonna happen. Let me see your manager. Yeah. I'm not cool with this. <laughs> <laughs> not long after the argument, Joan fell out of her crib, so the little baby broke her neck, and died. Still, Grace returned to Ursula for help with another issue. So at this point, she's not suspecting Ursula of doing anything, of causing the death. Grace began to suffer from lameness. Which, you know, I feel like I suffer from that every day. (laughs) (laughs) So lame. Again, (laughs) Ursula helped and eased the pain of the one who hadn't been kind or grateful for her services. You know, she's still paying the bills, right? Yep. I feel you, Ursula. Do what you gotta do. But after Grace had received the help, she refused to pay the fee for the services, saying that she couldn't afford it. Uh Oh, (laughs) I put in parentheses the first Karen question mark. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, great minds like me think like me. (laughs) Good one, past me. (laughs) (laughs) Pat me on the back. (laughs) Good job. When you find yourself way too funny. Oops. Of course, this didn't, this did not go over well with Ursula and the two argued again. Then when Grace's lameness returned, she freaked out and started to blame Ursula for everything that had gone wrong in her life. The death of her daughter, her own lameness, her son's illness, everything that was going wrong had to be Ursula's fault. And so she went and she spoke with the managers. She went and complained to her boss, county session judge, Brian Darcy, who I speculate may have inspired some of Matthew Hopkins' later tactics and beliefs. Jumping on the bandwagon, the family of Elizabeth Leatherdale accused Ursula of death by bewitchment. Elizabeth's mom had refused to let Ursula borrow some cleaning supplies. So when she was seen walking away and muttering to herself, and then Elizabeth later became sick and died, they put two and two together. Oh, you know, Ursula's mad that she doesn't get the the lie that she needs, so she's killing my daughter. Yep. That totally makes sense. That tracks. Yep. That's definitely what people do. She was putting a curse on her. Yep. Yep. Had to be Ursula's fault. So Judge Darcy decided it was time to have a, a talk with Ursula's illegitimate eight-year-old son, Thomas, to investigate her witchcraft habits. Poor Thomas, this kid is eight, confronted by an imposing authority figure, said that his mother was indeed a witch with four familiars, two cats, a lamb, and a toad. Aw, toad. I, I totally want I totally want a toad. <laughs> <laughs> okay, no. I'm nerd. <laughs> I think they're awesome. I love toads. <laughs> I think they're cool too. They feel so squishy when you pick them up and we squishy <laughs> on the outside. 
They're all fun and games until they pee on you, and then they're not as fun. But that, but that's true of everything. Yeah. I mean, our own children are real cute as babies, and then you change their diapers and they pee in your face. Like, mm. you're not. You've Toad. lost your luster. <laughs> Toad, baby. <laughs> oh, you were super cute. You're less cute now. <laughs> I still love you. You're not cute. He said, so Thomas said that she would feed them her own blood. And we see this again in what Hopkins later kind of said that they would feed from the teat. Mm-hmm. Eat the witch's blood. Ursula denied all the claims brought against her. She was like, nope, this is not, not happening. Until Judge Darcy promised leniency if she confessed. And that's uh. when she confessed to having the familiars saying that she fed them on cake, beer, and her own blood. I'd eat. I'd take the cake and the beer, but not the blood. <laughs> it's gonna be like the the hot chocolate from South America. <laughs> Ew, no, no, pubes, no, thanks, please, please, no pubes. Oh my god, when she said that, I was dying. <laughs> <laughs> Go from honey and spices to pubes and leeches. That <laughs> escalated real quickly. It did. Ursula then named other witches that she knew, who in turn named yet more rumored witches. So everybody's doing whatever they can to save their own skin. Mm -hmm. At the trials, the accusations hurled at the 14 women included things such as using magic to prevent beer from brewing, bewitching cattle, and causing wasting sicknesses and death in people. Of course, of those 14 women, 10 were accused of bewitching to death. And I think it was all women. I don't recall seeing anything about men being in there. Sure. Ultimately, two of the accused witches walked away scot-free. They were totally cool. Ten were convicted in a prison for some time, then were freed. Only Elizabeth and Ursula were hanged for their crimes of witchcraft. During the trials, all the women were housed in a building known as the Cage. And so this is where it kind of gets into some supernatural stuff if you're ready for it. Ooh. Yes, please. The Cage is a smallish building that operated as a prison for the witches, a quarantine building for plague victims, and then a prison again in 1908, so it's seen some death. After that, the building became a home that passed through several hands in rapid succession. I wonder why. <laughs> There's a lot of dead people here. <laughs> why does it smell like so much death? Can't Febreze so that nasty. away. <laughs> no, you cannot. <laughs> Supposedly, the first buyer got rid of it within two weeks. Don't really know why. Maybe a house flip. Who knows? Early 1900s house flip. There we go. Mm -hmm. Someone else is said to have lost their mind and hung themselves on the property. Yikes. In 1921, some construction workers were digging, uh, doing some digging in St. Osseth when they found two human skeletons not contained in coffins. So they were oh, okay. just buried in the dirt. These were definitely not in marked graves, and they had what looked like iron spikes in their bones, which was a common practice for witches until the mid-1600s. Okay. So it kind of fits that timeline. Mm-hmm. One of these was believed to be Ursula, although it it's, hasn't been confirmed from what I can tell. There's no way of really knowing for sure. Mm-hmm. They very well have may, may have been accused witches, since there were so many accused and executed in Essex over the years, it makes sense, especially mm -hmm. with the iron spikes. Yep. The most recent owner of the cage is Vanessa Mitchell, who lived there for only a few years before moving out in 2008. She spent 10 years trying to sell it, but couldn't find a buyer. Though I think it was, it was just purchased at like at the end of 2019 or early 2020, just before the pandemic. 
I know for sure, thanks to Live Science, that it was still for sale in June of 2019. Vanessa purchased the house in 2004 and said that she wasn't warned about any of the deaths that occurred there, though most realty companies don't really disclose that kind of information unless you ask. Like you have to specifically ask for it, but you're also buying a house that's 500 years old. So you kind of have to assume that someone's died there. I don't think that you really need to ask that. Just kind of know that that's happened at some point in its history. Yeah. Yeah, if you buy a 500-year-old house and it hasn't seen some death, then you've got, like, the four-leaf clover of 500-year-old houses. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, oh, they didn't tell me that the, any deaths had occurred here. Honey, you knew what you were buying. Yeah. You knew this thing was old, old. Yeah. So she said that the house was active all the time, day, night, whenever, with objects getting thrown around, doors slamming, blood splatters appearing on the walls, and interference nope. with electronics. Nope. Let's plan yeah, no. hard pass. No, I like, how do you deal with that when you see? What do you do? How do you respond to that? I just picture you're like walking down the hall and then like all of a sudden like blood splatter just like appears on the wall <laughs> and you're just like, well, that's new. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I was planning on painting that wall anyway. <laughs> You've thoroughly motivated me. Thank you very much. She said that she would see a shadow figure and was even violently attacked on multiple occasions, including being pushed to the ground while she was pregnant. Mm-hmm. I would not stick around for that. Nope. I'd be gone. Bye-bye. Yeah, right. When you're pregnant, why Why are you staying? I mean, I know you stick nope. a whole bunch of money into it and maybe you don't really have any other options, but at the same time, you got to find another option. Yep. At one point, she claimed to see a, quote, satanic goat. Wandering around her house in some CCTV footage, which I couldn't find this footage, but I really wanted to see the satanic goat. How do you know that it's a satanic goat and it's not just a regular goat? Did it turn and it looked at you and it's like, ha ha, Lucifer. (laughs) Starts speaking Latin, eyes glowing red. Like, how do you know it's a satanic goat? It was um, singing Crazy Train while it was like (laughs) walking around (laughs) singing some Ozzy Osbourne. (laughs) Highway to hell (laughs) Throw a little ACDC in there (laughs) Or it's just singing songs backwards (laughs) Oh my god Oh my god (laughs) That would be free Have you ever heard that there was supposedly a song Written about Nessie Back in like the 70s And it it was written in the language Of Nessie so it's basically just like (laughs) Because it's all gurgles. <laughs> Why? It makes sense that it would be in the 70s. Because of all the drugs. Yeah. Well, that's true. That's true. That's a good point. Someone was like, brilliant. Put it on a put it on a record. We're gonna Somebody make millions. That. <laughs> How do you listen to a three-minute song? I'm gonna <laughs> This is so <laughs> soothing. I feel like she's talking straight to me, man. <laughs> I feel she has a real Real ear for poetry. She's got a way with words. <laughs> the last straw for Vanessa was when she saw the shadow figure standing between her and her infant son as it leaned over his bed. Nope. Burn the house down. I'm sorry. I don't care if it's no. 500 years old. Burn <laughs> it to the ground. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Bad wire? Uh. <laughs> I was having electrical problems. <laughs> So she took her son and she ran. And then to this day, she really refuses to return to the home, especially at night. 
Several paranormal investigations have occurred at the home since that time, with people having all kinds of crazy experiences. Experiences reported at the home are of the shadow figure, mm-hmm. lots of footsteps, growling, which is a big no-go for me. Mm-hmm. If you growl, I'm out of there so fast. <laughs> <laughs> Books flying off of shelves, whispers, strange phantom music, which could be the you know the satanic goat singing in reverse. Light anomalies and electrical problems. So you know your your classic haunted house, your normal run of the mill yep. haunted house phenomena. One of the group of investigators went up to the master bedroom, which is supposedly the most haunted space in the home. There, after hearing growling and several loud bangs, the face of an investigator named Debbie was seen on camera to transform. And I saw this video. It's creepy like it's seriously a creepy video and i don't have an explanation is for that it. one where like her eyes turn black and like she get her like, nose gets all yeah long. and like her face yes. gets kind of gray yes oh i've seen that it's gross isn't it it's so gross it's like for a split <laughs> second but it's just but yep. everybody else's face looks normal it's just hers mm-hmm. so her nose gets long her eyes get kind of like this creepy hollow look and she has this really nasty, terrifying grin on her mm-hmm, face. Mm-hmm. And it's just, it's really big. It's nasty. Yeah. It's like Joker big. It's huge. Mm-mm. It was not cool. So this was all being viewed live by some people that were down in like, you know, they have how they have like that setup where people just kind of keep an eye on the cameras. Yep. And the guys that were observing observing what was happening ended the investigation in that room immediately when they saw this. And when Debbie came downstairs, she was complaining that her back was burning. Uh-oh. She felt really funny and her back was burning. So they moved her jumper out of the way to get a closer look and saw what appeared to be four long finger-like burn marks running up her back, like all the way up her back to her neck. Oh. Big long ones. Ouch. So even though there seems to be a tie to the witch trials, it may not just be the accused witches haunting the property, causing the damage and harm. There's an old asylum across from the home and a pub down the street that are also both reported to be very haunted. Of course, it's England. It's been around for a long time. (laughs) I feel like you can throw a stone somewhere in England and be like, oh, that place is haunted. Pretty much, yeah. I feel like that's everywhere but Americas. The Americas, yep. Although I think simply the nature of the haunting at the home is probably what would lead people to suspect it might be tied to torture, death, and witchcraft. I mean, you're looking at the history of what the home was and who would have stayed there. Mm-hmm. You know, she saw a satanic goat. It's hard to say. So that's the story of the witches of, of St. Osseth and and the cage, which I thought was a pretty creepy place. I saw mm-hmm. that video of the woman forever ago and I thought, I want to figure out what's going on here. And then there's this whole other story behind it with – Ursula Kemp, and mm-hmm. I think she was believed to be one of the first witches of Essex or something like that. So I thought that was a pretty cool history. Sorry, Ursula. Sucks to be you, man. That does suck to be you. It does suck. At least only two, at least only two on the bright side. Yeah. Out of 14. Yeah, that's like, pretty good odds. Considering other places, it was like half or more than half. Yeah. But, but still, how... For the people who are let go, how does that taint your reputation? Do you have to move out of town? Do you have to leave and go someplace where nobody knows you? Because I feel like you would never feel safe in that town again. Yeah. Well, it's like with the ones in Scotland, how a handful of them were banished. And it was probably in their best interest to leave anyway. Yeah. Because exactly, people aren't going to look at you the same way. 
So witches be crazy, man. Witches be cray. Thank mm-hmm. you. That was a good story. Sorry, I was uh, <laughs> a little all over the place from two years ago. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was still good. All right. Are you a fan of true crime, cults, conspiracies, and all things sinister? Then tune in with me, your host, Steph, every week for a new episode of the Sinister Story Hour. You can find the Sinister Story Hour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. So this week's podcast plug is the Sinister Story Hour podcast, which is this month's Oracle Network podcast of the month. And each week, Stephanie shares stories of true crime, cults, paranormal experiences, conspiracies, and just generally all things sinister. One thing I love about her show is that each of the episodes are bite-sized, so you can binge like four or five of them in an hour. They're like anywhere from like 15 to 20 minutes long, generally. So it's great if you want a quick true crime or paranormal fix, and we will have a link to her show in the show notes. And congratulations, Stephanie, on being the podcast of the month. That does sound like a good show. I like the little bite-sized one sometimes when you mm-hmm. just like, I want... Freak me out real fast. Yep. <laughs> Move on to something else. Yep. I like those ones. And funnily enough, this week's listener question comes from Ashley from Studying Scarlet and Pineapple oh, nice. Pizza. <laughs> and she wants to know, and that's why I also think it's very ironic that you're the guest in place of Maddie is, if you are Poulain's. <laughs> oh, this is great. <laughs> what would yours look like? <laughs> Okay, do, you, do your listeners know anything about the Poulains? No, you should probably give them a oh brief synopsis. Goodness. So on Pineapple Pizza Podcast, we do these shorter episodes called Stories by the Slice. And one of the ones that I did was about these really ridiculously pointy shoes that were very popular in the Middle Ages called Poulains. What was the other one? Krakows. They were called Krakows. Yep. So they were these dumb, long, they could be like two feet long, two foot long shoes that people would trip all over or literally chain to their knees so they wouldn't calm down. <laughs> <laughs> so what would your poulain look like? I don't know. I feel like I'd want them to be loud so you could hear me coming because I'm a Leo and I like attention. So I'd want it to be like not just attention grabbing in the in the sense that they're like ridiculous looking because they do look ridiculous. <laughs> so I don't know if I want them to have like bells or maybe they're like the metal ones that they would wear when they were out in combat. Even though to jack shit when you were out in combat wearing these long ass metal shoes. It looks so dumb. It'd be so stupid. Just like giant cleat on your foot. You can't walk. You just trip. You get stuck in the ground. Imagine them trying to run away with these things. They have to run with their feet sideways. <laughs> like clowns. Or like, or like high knee it when they're running. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh my oh god. god. I just picture like giant metal clown shoes. That's pretty much uh, what they were. Yeah. Just narrow instead of big and round at the end. So that's mine. What would yours look like? Ooh, that's a good question. I feel like... When you're going with Poulain, you're you're trying to be flashy, so you might as well go 
balls to the wall with that. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be like black adder length, the really ridiculously long ones mm-hmm. where they're just like three foot long and they curl up and they have a bell at the end. And then they're going to be like rainbow colored with sequins. Nice. With, but those sequins that you can run your hand down and it switches the colors and the patterns. So it's going to be like rainbow on one side and like Nicolas Cage's face on the other. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it'll be rainbow on one side and it'll be that um monument down in the in tallahassee on the other <laughs> oh, oh, so trying pretty. to get a point across here with the giant poulains. <laughs> i am compensating here i mean if they're already three feet in length we know what you're going for <laughs> It's like the guys who drive those really souped up pickup trucks that are super lifted. We know what we know the problem, dude. <laughs> we all see it. We get it. You have yeah, a tiny one. Nobody. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. All right. What's something good you'd like to share this week? Ooh, something good. Well, I had spring break from my classes this week. Nice. So I got to have my kids all week, which, you know, I went into it thinking this is going to be awesome. I really miss my kids. And that was going to be my something good. But my something good might be that my spring break is coming to an end. Because <laughs> it doesn't feel like a break at all. I totally feel you. Oh, my God. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's also spring break for me and my kids, which is why. Mm-hmm. So when this episode airs, spring break will be over. But at the time we're recording, it is spring break in my as I said at the beginning, my husband and my oldest just got back from going snowboarding in a popular resort up in northern Minnesota for five days. And um, I was home with my youngest. I only took Wednesday through Friday off because I, we're very, very busy and I had some things I needed to get done. But we did some fun stuff. We went to the sustainable zoo where you can like pay a little bit extra to like hold some of the animals or feed some of the animals and my youngest got to hold a baby kangaroo which was really cute and apparently they sleep for like 18 hours a day which i didn't know when they're can relate i know i wish i could sleep 18 hours a day. yeah right <laughs> great my brain would be so clean <laughs> be so flushed <laughs> wake up and it's just sparkling it's like just mr like- clean brain <sighs> And then after like two two hours, I'm just like, I need to go back to bed. My brain is too full of nonsense. (laughs) I think my favorite part, and I'll show you later because I'm probably going to use it again for (laughs) our show. (laughs) But we went to um, Build-A-Bear and I got to make an axolotl there. And it was super cute. And apparently I was not the first one to do that today. And interestingly enough, they had just stocked it that day. And I found out later that by the end of the day, all their stock was gone of the axolotl. Because so they're it, cute. Because they're super cute. And yeah, I had people like commenting on it when we were walking through the, we were at the Mall of America. So when we were walking through the amusement park, like some of the park. Wow. The ride amusement park in your mall. Yeah. I have a one-story mall <laughs> with a Macy's and a JCPenney. Well, and interestingly enough, the Mall of America is actually owned by Canada. So, Oh, that's funny. <laughs> it is funny. Well, I mean, Canada is part of America. It's just not part of the United States. Yep. But uh, 
Yeah, a lot of the ride operators were like, oh my god, is that an axolotl? And I'm like, yep. And you got it a Build-A-Bear? Yep. Oh my god. So, of course, they're all like teenage like teenage kids or like early 20-year-olds. I'm yeah. surprised that many people knew what an axolotl was. Yeah. I don't know. It's become a very popular pet, I feel like, a lot more oh, recently. They're so funny. I know I follow a couple of TikTok accounts of people with axolotls. They'll like draw faces on the, <laughs> the tank. Yeah. Anyway. All right. <laughs> I'm going to shut her down. You can find us online at yieldcrimepodcast.com. We're also on Twitter at yieldcrimepod and on Instagram and Facebook at yieldcrimepodcast. We have a YouTube channel. You should subscribe because it's pretty cool. You can write us a letter or send us something fun in the mail to our P.O. box, which we also share with Pineapple Pizza, which is a <laughs> Ye Old Crime Podcast, P.O. Box 341, Wyoming, Minnesota, 55092. You can also email us at yeoldcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Submit your questions, story suggestions. If you're a fellow podcaster and you'd like to swap promos, feel free to send them our way. We would be more than happy to share a promo with you. And a great free way to support the show is to leave a five-star rating and review. You can do so on Apple Podcasts, Podchaser, Good Pods, and you can now leave reviews. I'm sorry, you can leave ratings on Spotify. And this week's review comes from Ishmael on Apple Podcasts. And they say spooky, then adorable, then spooky again. Five stars. You two have such great chemistry, it's insane to believe you two didn't like each other much. I may have only started at Little Boxes, which is our episode about the mm -hmm. little fairy coffins in Scotland. Yeah. But I'm honestly hooked. You two have created something very fun and unique and can't wait for more. Oh, thank you. That was nice. That was way back at episode, what, 13 or something like that? That was episode 7. No, maybe it was 13. It was in the teens. It was because I was listening today. <laughs> <laughs> it was one of our teenager episodes. <laughs> if you'd like to support us financially, we're not going to tell you no. You can do so on Buy Me a Coffee with a one-time donation. You can also join our Patreon for as low as a dollar a month. Do it. Get early ad-free access to all of our content. You can also purchase our merch on our Redbubble store. I know I say it every week. I will get stuff up there. <laughs> There's like five designs up there right now, but I, I'm getting to it. And on that note, as always, I'm Lindsay. And I'm Emily. And we'll see you next time with another tale as old as crime. Thanks, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. <laughs>